Well, good morning. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. Uh, Pastor Dave just mentioned my name is Greg. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, for those of you who are new or you're visiting, uh, welcome to our home. We're, we're glad you're here. I hope you feel the, uh, the Ohana love uh, that comes from God here. Uh, we've been in a series called This is Home. And I realize that uh, there, there's a lot of you guys who say this is home, like this is where you belong. And then there's some of you who may be still looking around and you're, you're not sure if this is the place where you want to unpack your bags, settle in and, and move into. And so you're trying to figure out what this church is about. Well, we hope this series is giving you a better idea. Um, but I want to ask you and I want to ask actually every single person here. When you're looking for a church to call home, what are your non-negotiables? Like, what, what's a must-have in the church sufficient for you to call it home? Is it a place where you can feel like you're part of a family? Is it a place where you can bring your family, where your kids have a good kids program, or uh, young and old could be found in the seats? Maybe it's a place with just lively, really good music, or, or engaging teaching, what are your non-negotiables? And maybe you think about these different elements that you want to find in church. And maybe it looks a little something like this, or maybe a lot like this video. Check this out. seems to have a lot of things that many of us value, right? It seems to have it all. In fact, many of the things we value here at South Bay Community Church were seen in that video. Fun place where you could let loose, learn, laugh. Seems like they had great music. Seems like they had engaging speakers. But the biggest difference between South Bay Community Church and what you saw in that video, the biggest difference is this right here. The teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And I'm not trying to be judgmental. Sunday Assembly is an atheist church. And they pride themselves on doing everything you could do in a church. And we celebrate everything good. Just know God. You're not going to find God here. And so admittedly, they'll say you're not going to hear teaching and preaching from the word of God. And I want to challenge every person here. As you're looking for a place, a church to call home. Would you make one of your non-negotiables? that this church would be a place where they teach and preach the word faithfully week in and week out. And not just on the weekends, but throughout the week, they value devotion to the word of God. We're in this series called This is Home, and we're looking at uh, distinctives of, of 
this church and what we want this church to be about. And we've been looking at the New Testament church in the book of Acts as a model. And I want to take you back to Acts chapter 2. Because here is what the church looked like. And here's what we want to look like. Verse 41, it says this. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Would you guys underline that sentence right there? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. So the things the apostles taught, which were spoken and written and are contained in this word, we want to be devoted to, to this. And so I want to open up in a word of prayer. I want to ask you to join me as we pray, ask God uh, to lead us into this time. Would you guys join me? So God, we just pray right now, Lord, that you would do something powerful in our hearts and in this church. God, we pray that you would not just speak to us from your word, but that you would show us how good your word is, how worth it it is to be committed to this, to be devoted to this. And we pray, above all else, Lord, that you would leave us just in awe of you, Lord, that we'd be more in love with Jesus so, Lord, we want to give you this time. I pray that nothing I say will be uh, meaningful, nothing I say will be successful, nothing I say will be written down or shared, unless it's true. And I pray that if it's true, Lord, that you would use it, uh, plant it in our hearts, remind us of it, and may it transform our lives, God. So, Lord, take over this time. It's yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what does a commitment to the word of God look like in this context, in this church? Well, if you're following along in your notes, I'd love for you to write this down. Number one, we will do the work of preaching the word, but we trust the word to do the work. I'll say that again. We will do the work of preaching the word, but we trust the word to do the work. I was thinking back this past week, my son, uh, my oldest son, Evan, he is nine years old already, and that blows my mind. Some of you guys knew him when he was a baby. He's nine. And so I was reflecting this past week, and I was going through some pictures. I want to show you some pictures of uh, my, my little baby as he was growing up. So here's day one. Here's Evan Ma uh, at the hospital. He's got those big chubby cheeks. Uh, he gets it from not me. And uh, <laughs> here's a picture of him six months later, Evan. Uh, just laying there, hanging out, and then he turned one, and the first year flew by so fast. Here's Evan at one years old, and uh, I can't believe it, how he's growing. Here he is today at nine years old. Here's nine-year-old Evan. Isn't that amazing? Can you, can you believe how big he is? No, you don't believe that. Why? Because in your mind, you know that an infant shouldn't remain an infant, like, if an infant is cared for and fed and nourished, he should not look like that at nine years old. And in the same way for a newborn believer, a newborn Christian, we should not look like newborns as time goes on. And so what God does, he has distributed uh, gifts and he has set up people in the church, specifically among them are pastors and teachers to help equip the church so that we would, what, grow up. And that we would mature in our faith and in our knowledge of the Son of God. So we should be growing up from our infancy. 
right? This is straight from Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, look what it says, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then what happens? Well, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. And so the pastors and teachers, their job is to teach the word of God so that we wouldn't remain infants, but that we would grow and we would, we, we would change. We would see change. And for us as a church, that change is a change toward Christ-likeness. It's the process we call sanctification. And sanctification is the process of becoming holy like, like our God. We're being made more like him in his image. And so, so the word of God is powerful enough to save in a moment, but it sanctifies over a lifetime. It sanctifies over a lifetime. And that sanctification, that change is going to come from a healthy diet of the word of God when we are nurtured and nourished by the word of God. Now here in this home, we want to be that kind of church. We want to be a church where the word is faithfully taught week after week. Not just on weekends, but, but even on the weekdays too. Now we have our midweek study on Wednesday nights. But, but we want to see the word of God bring true transformation and soul sanctification. Now I say that because if we ever get into this place where, where our focus is just motivating you, and making you feel good about how you are, if that's our focus, then we've lost our purpose. We're not doing our job because the word of God should be convicting us and conforming us, changing us to to help us emulate Christ. Like, I'm not doing my job if I'm just telling you, "You're, you're awesome, just stay the way you are. I shouldn't be encouraging you to stay the way you are. Why? Do you know who you are? You're sinners. And so am I. Not as much as you, but, but we're, we're, we're all sinners, right? And so the point of the word of God, the, the Bible tells us Ephesians 4 is so that we would change, we would mature, that we keep on looking more and more like Christ. We'd be closer to him in our image. And so pastors and teachers, we need to compassionately and diligently prepare and present the word of God in a way where the people who come to this house would be able to eat and digest the word of God so that it would bring about healthy change. You know, my uh, professor in seminary, he, he would say something like this. He would say, little kids like tater tots. Teenagers love french fries. Old folk, they need the soft stuff, so give them mashed potatoes. But it's all potatoes. It's all potatoes. But you have to prepare it and present it in a way that they're going to be able to eat it and, and digest it. And so in the same way, this is the word of God. It is meat, the Bible says. It nurtures us and strengthens us. And yet our job is not just to throw meat out there. We will put in the work to get to know the, the flock, the congregation. Who are you? Where are you at? What are you thinking about? What are you struggling with? And then how can we pour in the hours of studying the scriptures? 
And we'll read the commentaries and we'll, we'll study books and then we'll go through the hours of preparing a, a, a message, putting a structure and an organized uh, message prepared. It's almost like a research paper every week. And then we'll, we'll go over it, we'll rehearse it, and we'll, we'll, we'll make changes so that we can present it clearly so that you can understand it. So that when we come and gather, you're able to eat up the word and digest it and see that it is good, it is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And so, so we'll, we'll do our job, we'll put the work in. Sometimes a message can take anywhere between 25 to 35 hours each week. Sometimes we've done messages where it's taken us over 40 hours logged just trying to prepare this message. So we'll do the work to present the word, but we trust the word to do the work. Because listen, with that being said, we're not naive. I know that as a preacher, I cannot change hearts. I cannot heal wounds. I cannot break chains. I cannot save a soul. And I can't sanctify your life. I, I get that. And so my influence stops. Pastor Gary's influence stops at some point because we're mere mortal men. We don't have that kind of power. But we trust that the word of God does. That the word of God can do the real, actual, ongoing work of sanctification. And so we will trust the word to do the work. John 17, 17. In the Bible, there's not a whole lot of uh, prayers of Jesus recorded, but there are a couple. And John 17 has the longest prayer that we see Jesus pray to the Father. And he's praying for the disciples, and he's praying for the church. And out of the millions of things that he could be praying for, for his disciples, he prays a few things. These few things, you could, you could bet that these are important to Jesus. And here's one of the things he prays. John 17, verse 17, he says this. Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Father, sanctify them. Change them. Mold their hearts. Transform them. Make them more generous. Make them more giving. Make them more compassionate. Make them more caring. Make them more honest. Make them more humble. Make them more selfless. Make them more sensitive. In other words, God, make them more like you. Make them look like you. Sanctify them. By what means? God, by passionate preachers. By dynamic speakers. No. Sanctify them by what? By the truth. Your word is truth. We depend on the word to do the work. So we, we will, to the best of our ability, we'll put in the work to present you the word, but we depend on and we're desperate for the word to do the work. There was um, a man named uh, Gaylord Kambarami, and he was uh, president of the Bible Society in Africa. And so they would go to villages to present the word, the New Testament, and they would hand them out and distribute them. And uh, true story, Mr. Kambarami tells the story of he went to this village in Africa called Marewa, and he's handing out these Bibles. And he comes across, uh, he comes across a guy, and he's trying to give it to him, and the guy refuses. He says, I don't want it. He says, why not? He says, because that pollutes people's minds. And so Mr. Kambarami was, uh, he was insistent, no, please take it, it's free, I'm, I'm giving it to you. 
He says, well, sir, you know if I take this Bible from you, I'm just going to tear out the pages. I'm going to roll them into cigarettes and smoke them. And Mr. Krambarami says, fine. But you promise that you'll read every single page before you roll it up? The guy goes, give me the Bible, <laughs> right? Free cigarette paper. So, so he gives him the Bible. Two years go by. Two years go by, and uh, Mr. Kambarami is still doing his ministry, and he, he tells a story where he revisits that village, Marewa, and he's in this tent meeting, and there's this big event, and he's telling people how the word of God has power to change lives. It really can transform lives. And in the middle of his sharing, this, this guy raises his hand. He says, hey, can I share something? Can I share something? And so he says, go ahead, share. And this guy, this is what he says. He stands up, he says, this man doesn't remember me because when I last saw him, I was a drunkard. But he came to our village and persuaded me to take the Bible, and I told him I would use the paper to roll cigarettes, but I promised to read each page before doing so, which I did. So I smoked my way through Matthew, <laughs> and I smoked the whole of Mark 2. Then I smoked Luke. I started smoking John, but when I came to John 3, 16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. A light shone in my face, and now I am a church-going person. I saw the light. Isn't God's word powerful? Amen. God's word is so powerful, and we trust that when the Spirit speaks through his word, it is enough to save a soul in a moment or sanctify a soul over a lifetime with or without the human communicator. God's word is that powerful, and that's what we believe. And so I want to encourage you guys, when you come, if you come to this place, come every single week. And when you come, come with great expectations. Come with great expectations to be convicted and changed by God's word. But don't set your standards so low that you should be excited to hear this man speak or that man speak. Set your expectations higher to expect the word of God to speak to you directly to your soul, to change you and make you more like Jesus. Come with great expectations. The word of God is powerful. And we will do the work of presenting the word, but we trust the word to do the work. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's the first thing about our commitment to the word of God. Here's the second thing I want to share with you. We will conform to God's word rather than conform God's word to us. Now, don't get that twisted. I'm going to say it again. We will conform to God's word rather than conform God's word to us. And I say that because it's tempting. Right? Because culture is a powerful thing, and, and, and culture has such a significant influence on what people choose to believe. That's true of this culture and every other culture. That's true of this generation and every other generation. Right? So in the Bible, there's this guy named Timothy, young guy named Timothy. He's pastoring a church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a very academic uh, city. Greek philosophy dominated people's minds. And the, the philosophical thought was that our souls are immortal, and yet the body is a prison for the soul. And, and you'll find out later in Gnostic teachings, which came in in the first and second century, they, they would teach that the spirit is good, but flesh is inherently evil. Right? So, 
So when Jesus and the apostles teach about this future hope that we will be resurrected, that there will be a bodily resurrection, that kind of butts head with the common thought in that, in that city, in that culture. Right, because if my body goes into the ground and is buried after I'm dead, that's a good thing. Why would I want that back? Like, I don't want that back. And yet Paul's teaching is, no, there will be a future resurrection. And so there's these two guys who claim to be Christians, Philetus and Hymenaeus. And they're claiming to be Christians, but they're trying to tell the people in Ephesus, oh, don't worry, the, the resurrection that the apostles taught, they were, um, that, that happened already. And so any resurrection you're going to experience now, that's just a spiritual, you're coming to life, that's all, that's all that's happening is symbolic, it's spiritual. And Paul's saying, no, there will be a resurrection. That is our hope. If there is no resurrection like our Christ resurrected, then our preaching is pointless, our message is meaningless. There is a resurrection. And so here's Timothy, caught in the middle of all this. And as he's tempted to be swayed by the culture, Here's what Paul says to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He says, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth. Circle that word, swerved. They've swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. And so Paul knew that the pressure, the cultural pressure, was going to be tremendous upon Timothy. It's going to be tempting to want to shape or mold or conform to teaching in such a way that's palatable for the culture. He says, he says be a approved one approved by God and the same is true for us in our culture it's tempting it really is man is scary so when I did that message a few months ago on on the Bible and homosexuality if you were here you remember that I I, I gave that message um, with an empty chair right next to me you guys remember that and I put an empty chair there and I knew it was a controversial topic because I, I knew that in these seats, we're going to be people on both sides of the issue. We're going to have people with opposing views on homosexuality and what the Bible says. And the reason I put the chair there, in part, I told you, was because I want to preach and imagine my Savior, my, my Lord and my King, sitting right here with me. And even if you're sitting in the seats and you're nodding like this or you're nodding like this, I want to preach in such a way where I know my, my Jesus is listening to every word I speak and he's nodding his head like this. And he's saying, yes, that's exactly my heart. This is exactly what I would say. And, and that's true of any week, whether it's controversial or not, I want to know that if my God were physically sitting in this seat right here listening to me, I want to know that whatever I say is approved by him. Like he's going to be nodding and yesing and amening and not ah, cringing and oh, knowing, no, 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 Greg, what are you saying? I know, I know he's not physically right here in this seat in front of me. But I know one day I will be standing in front of him. And I will have to take a stand before his seat. And I know that I'm going to have to give an account for every word I have spoken. 
and taught. And I don't want to be ashamed. I'd rather be ashamed in front of you. I'd rather disappoint you than him. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak as one who doesn't need to be ashamed. And that's why in verse 15, Paul said, he said, look, if, if you handle the word rightly, you handle rightly the word of truth, you need not be ashamed. And that, that phrase right there when he says rightly handling the word, there's this uh, word that he uses in the Greek language that he wrote this in. He uses the word orthotomeo. And so that might sound familiar. Ortho means straight. Ortho means straight. Tomeo, orthotomeo means to cut straight, to plow straight, right? So think about this. How many of you guys have ever seen um, anything in life that's just so straight and you just marvel at its straightness? And then you start thinking about who, who is the person who made it like that? Like the precision of that person who is able to cut so straight. For example, like orthodontists. How do they take crooked teeth and make them so straight? It's amazing their handiwork. Or some of you guys know orthopedic surgeons, right, who is able to take a, a crooked bag and make it straight. It's amazing what they're able to do. Or how about that, that barber, right? How is he able to make that, that bowl cut so spot on? Like, how did he just nail it like that? Did he, can we just marvel at that for a little bit? Let's, let's keep that up there. That is so good. Our senior pastor, man, amazing, rocking those bangs. But, but don't you ever marvel at the precision I think what Paul's talking about here when he says orthotomeo, the best analogy is, is probably what I used to see driving up north when we used to drive to San Francisco on the 5 freeway. I look out the window and I, I see the farmland, right? You guys ever see this driving up the freeway and you just see line after line after line of crops? And I used to think, how do they do, how do they, how do they make it so straight? It doesn't swerve to the right or to the left. It's so precise and perfect and that's what Paul's talking about. When you handle the word of God, orthotomeo, you, you cut straight. Don't swerve to the right or don't swerve to the left into deceptive paths or destructive patterns. Keep straight. What is God saying? And that was the challenge for Timothy in a culture where the culture was so influential, and that's the challenge for us. And here in this house, we will strive as as much as we can to cut straight, realizing we fall short. So help us, God. Help us interpret your word and teach it rightly. Not swerving to the right just because that's what the Republicans say or swerving to the left just because that's what Democrats say or swerving to the right because that's what other churches are saying or swerving to the left because that's what my, my teacher is saying. But God, what are you saying? What are you saying? Help us to cut straight. So if you're a guest today in this house, again, we welcome you. From the bottom of our hearts, we sincerely mean that we, we are so thankful. It means the world to us that you, you would visit us. And if you're looking for a church home, I need to say this right off the bat. If you're looking for a church home that's going to change the words of God and conform our teaching just to keep up with the times and to progress with the culture, you're not going to find that here. This is not the home for you. We will not bend and we will not conform. And so you just need to know that. But I pray that you stay. I pray that you stay and see the word of God change our hearts and our souls. Don't get us wrong, okay? South Bay Community Church, we're, we're all about, we love change. We embrace change. 
we, we, we will change as much as possible with the culture and with the times so long as it does not compromise the word of God. We're willing to change. We'll, we'll do it. For example, we used to always tell people, um, bring your Bibles. Like 10 years ago, godly Christians would bring their Bibles to church. And so, I rem- this true story, it used to irk me that a lot of people didn't have Bibles at church. That was just, to me, that was just such a foreign thing. And uh, we realized everybody's got their phones now. And we'd be saying, guys, bring your Bibles, bring your Bibles. Because for a preacher, there's no more beautiful sound than this right here. Right? This is the most beautiful sound. And we never hear it anymore. So, guys, bring your Bibles. But we realized, look, we're in a day and age where everybody's got their phone in their pockets. Everybody's used to being on screens. And that's how most people read their Bibles these days. So instead of trying to fight it, we said, let's just embrace it. We're in a new day. We're in a new culture. It doesn't mean they don't love Jesus. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to have a physical copy of the Bible. But we need to have the words of God. And so instead of fighting it, we embraced it. We said, hey, let's make an app, an SBCC app. Let's help people. So now we made the the scriptures available on your phone. We're going to embrace that change. Our world is changing. Another example, um, I don't know if you got the announcement last week, but you might start seeing armed security around here. We started this a few weeks back, and um, last week we told you it's not because something happened, our, our lives aren't threatened, but we realize the world is changing. Like today is a new day. A, a year or two ago when we were talking about this, we weren't ready to go there. We don't know if we want to uh, scare people and cause people to leave because there's armed security. And yet we realize now the world is changing so fast. There are more and more school shootings, more and more church shootings. And we've seen how many churches, it's become a new thing where armed security has helped protect lives and has helped save lives. And so we decided at the beginning of this year, hey, let's, let's make that change. Let's, let's provide a safe place for our people to come and worship in freedom. And so we, we will not be so stiff-necked that we fail to see how the world around us is changing with the times. So we will strive to keep up with the times and the culture in every way except for doctrine. And this to us will always remain the pure, undefiled, everlasting, unchanging word of God. And we will not conform this to us. We will conform ourselves to this word. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's the second thing. Let me share with you one more thing. And this point uh, just really strikes really close to home for me. I hope it does for you too. Number three, we will be committed to the word of God to draw near to the God of the word. We will be committed to the word of God so that we can draw near to the God of the word. And I say that because, man, sometimes uh, Christians and churches can get so snobby when it comes to the Bible. I've seen it. I've experienced, I've experienced it. I've been there, right? Because some Christians will say, I'm an Arminian Christian. That's my theology. And then someone else will say, no, I'm a real Christian. I'm a five-point Calvinist. I'm Reformed, and I read Jonathan Edwards for fun, right? And then other churches will say, no, we're a true Bible teaching church because we are King James only, the only inspired word of God. And then other churches will say, no, we're a true Bible-believing church because we teach it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, nothing else, expository preaching. And, and 
not to say that it's bad to have a certain theology or hold to certain doctrines or have a certain method of preaching. Those are good things, but sometimes we make them the greatest things to the point where we miss the point. And sometimes Christians or churches can have like this superiority complex where it's like if you don't hold to the scriptures or, or, or teach it the way we do or know it as much as we do, then I wonder if you're even a Christian. How many of us realize that it's possible to have an unhealthy devotion to the word of God? You guys realize we could have an unhealthy devotion to the scriptures. Let me try to illustrate that for you. When I was uh, growing up, from junior high all the way to college, I read the Bible every single day. Just about. I might have missed one or two in between, but I read the Bible every day. And it started when I was youth. In youth group, I would go to Sunday school. We'd go into the class, and there was a a chart with everybody's names on it. And if you read your Bible every day, you did your choir time, every day that week, you you would get a star. You'd get a sticker. I led the charts. I led the charts. No joke. Because I was like, I'm I'm, I'm, mamba mentality. No one's going to outwork me, right? I'm going to lead the charts in this. And so so I I read it every single day. It led into junior high, led into high school. Even the years when I wasn't even really walking with the Lord and I was kind of in the world, I would still read my Bible. In high school, I'd fall asleep studying at my desk, wake up at 4 a.m. And if I didn't read my Bible yet that, that day, I would break out the Bible and I would read it. And even beyond the years of, of uh, sticker charts, I, I continued to make sure I read it. But let me tell you this. Reading the Bible for me for so many years was so boring. Like, boring, drudgery. It was a chore to me. Why? Well, because my goal was to read the Bible. My goal was to read the Bible rather than seeing the Bible as a means to a greater end. His name is Jesus. I was reading the Bible to be recognized by men. I was was reading the Bible to be seen by men rather than reading the Bible to see my Savior. Like this was an end in itself, and I, and I still live in this, this mode I can get into where, if I'm not careful, ingrained in me is this, this idea that if I read the Bible every day, then I must be doing well. And it's this workspace, success-driven, accomplishment-oriented approach to my Christianity. Even now, it's kind of like, man, if I could get 50 streaks on my Bible app or I'm doing the Bible reading plan, if I could make sure every chapter is checked and I'm on, on track, then, then I must be good with Jesus. I want to say that may not be true. That just may not be true. And so in this home, let's be committed to the word of God because it draws us near to the God of this word. This is not an end in itself. It brings us into knowing him. It's where we can grow in our faith and in our knowledge, in our love, where we can cherish our glorious king. This is what the word of God does. The longest chapter in the Bible, the longest chapter by far is Psalm chapter 119. 176 verses. And if you go through those 176 verses, you're going to find this guy who's like obsessed with the word of God. 
It's crazy how much he loves us. And he'll talk about, he'll call it, I, I love your statutes. I'll follow your commands, your precepts, your, your instructions, your word. I'll obey it all. I love it. And it's almost like, whoa, this guy truly loves the scriptures. But then if you look closely, you realize the real object of his affection is not the scriptures. It's God. Not just the word of God, but the God of this word. And it's because of his love for the Lord, he begins to long for his word. Let me show you. Psalm 119, verse 57. He writes this. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. Circle that word portion. That's such a good word choice. I love it. In the Hebrew language, that word for portion, it was like your inheritance. right? So when somebody died, they would give you this allotment of land. And man, it was like, that was your gain. That was yours. Yours to keep. That belonged. That was like riches and blessing given to you. It was great gain. And so, so that's your portion. Here, it's yours. This guy says, the Lord is my portion. I'll never forget September 8th, 2002. My palms were like sweaty. And my heart was like racing. And there we were, we were at this table, this two-person table, right next to that big glass window at the Starbucks, the Peninsula Center, and there we were. And I don't normally get nervous in front of a lot of people, but I was nervous because she was so cute. <laughs> Monica Chen was sitting right there on the other side of this table, and, and there, there it was. This was the DTR talk. The defining the relationship talk, and right next to our macchiatos was our feelings right there on the table, just exposed for the first time for both of us to see and acknowledge. And I was like, oh my gosh, she feels the same way that I was so excited, so happy. And, and at the end of that conversation, we concluded that we felt the same way for each other, but we also concluded that the doors were closed, that it wouldn't be right for us to start dating right now. And so we waited. And we prayed, and we waited, and prayed, and waited, prayed, waited, prayed. A year goes by, entire year. So we have the talk again, DTR, DTR number two. We, we talk, do you still feel the same way? I still feel the same way. I, I like you, I like you. And we're, uh, we're like re reaffirming our feelings, and we concluded at the end of that conversation that the door was closed. So what do we do? We waited, and we prayed. We waited and we prayed, waited and prayed, and another full year goes by. And so two years now has gone by, and these two years did not fly by. This year went by so slowly, inch by inch, day by day, creeping along. I'm wondering, when are these doors going to open? And then on September 4th, 2004, God flung open the doors, and I finally got Monica Chen to be my girlfriend. Hallelujah. Right? <laughs> finally got her, and it was like, yes, you are the reward of my waiting. You are the prize of my prayers. I finally get you. You're mine. I, I, I got you. And if the Hebrew writer was me, he would say, you are my portion my greatest gain my treasure you belong to me 
And so in this verse, Psalm 119.57, the Lord is my portion, so I promise to keep your words. And obedience to his words was because of his relationship with his treasure. You are my portion. His love for the God of this word filled his devotion to the word of God. We go to verse 10. Now, let me show you verse 10 in Psalm 19, same chapter, but verse 10. He says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Circle that word, you. With my whole heart, I seek you. That's a personal pronoun. It refers to a person, not a thing. You, God. And so the means to pursuing this person was to pursue his commands. If I guess keep in your commands, I know that I'm keeping near to you. And so this book right here, this wasn't the end in itself, but this was a means to being in him. Being in this book was being in him. And sometimes we miss the point. Different culture, different generation, but we miss the point sometimes. And I want to say this morning, church, let's be devoted to this. Let's fall in love with this. Let's never stray from this, but let this be our means to him, our God, the lover of our souls. You know, back, back in, uh, in, in high school, right, I'm a 90s high school kid, and we used to send texts to each other. And this is how we used to send texts. You guys remember this? Like we <laughs> pulled, up, pulled up the papers and... And girls would write letters to each other on, on uh, this thing called line paper. And then, if you don't know what it is, I found an image for you. It looks like this. Um, but girls would write letters to their girlfriends and to their guy friends. Guys, we never wrote letters to other guys, but we wrote back to the girls, right? So, like, in between classes, um, people would fold up these letters and they would hand them out to friends as they passed. And so I would get letters from my friends and I would put it in my pocket or put it in my backpack. And I wouldn't read it right away. It was kind of my um, emergency stash. So in class, when I got bored or I, my, I mentally checked out, then I would go to my stash, and I would read these letters. And for my friends, I would open it up, and I remember just hiding it under my desk and reading it really quick because I didn't want to get caught uh, for not paying attention. So I'd read it really quick, rush to it, then fold it back up, put it away. And a lot of times when they were from my friends, I did, didn't really read it more than once. I just read saw what they said. Then I would reply back to them. But then I'd get... Letters from this one girl who I had a fat crush on, and she was cute. And uh, when she gave me letters, I didn't wait to read it when I got bored in class. I would never read it at school. I would wait till I got home. I wait till I got home until I could settle in, and I'm in the privacy of my own room. Why? Because I didn't, I didn't want to rush through this one. I don't want to rush through this. And so I would sit there and I would read it slowly and I would cherish every word that she was writing to me. I would read it and then I would read it again and again and then I would fold it back up nicely and I would put it in this box that I saved just for her letters. And then days would go by and a lot of times I would go back to the same box and I would read the letters again and again and again. And it wasn't getting through the entire letter that gave me joy. What gave me joy was the fact that there was a person on the other side of this letter, a real person, checking the box off and saying, yep, I, I finished it. I read the entire thing, every word. Wasn't my goal. My goal was to learn of this person's feelings and affections for me. Like, th this was about relationship. 
wasn't about getting a, a, a job done. It was about a relationship. And I share that because, look, these words right here are not meaningless words on paper. This is a means to something so much greater. A relationship with a God who's crazy about you. Mad about you. In love with you. It's about a God who is alive and living. And and these aren't just words, but there is a person on the other side of these words. Yeah, prophets might have penned this, but there's a God behind those prophets who use them to tell you and communicate with you how much he loves you. And so when we read like Zephaniah, you think you can dance? The creator of the dance dances around you. You think you can sing? He sings over you. He delights over you. Lamentations. You, you sin again? You sin? It's okay because his love for you never fails. Tomorrow his mercies are new. Every morning they're new. Isaiah tells us your sin has caused pain and suffering. And yet... God loves you so much, he sent his Messiah so that by his wounds, you'd be healed. That's how much he loves you. The gospel tells us he pursues us with his love. Hebrews says, for the joy set before you, for the joy set before you, Michael, he he endured the cross. He scorned its shame. He went opposed against sinners. For you, for the joy. Who's that joy? It's you, Valerie. Who's that joy? It's, it's you. It's you, Bobby. It's you, Yoshie. It's, it's you, Lisa. For the joy set before him, he he's crazy. Revelation says Jesus is our bridegroom. And church, you're his bride. And he's coming for you. And he's going to surprise you. He's got a date all set in his calendar. He's not going to tell you, but he's going to show up. And he's going to sweep you off your feet. And he's taking you home. He is mad about you. And so please do not see this as ancient words written to ancient people, but these words are living and active. And they're from a living God expressing his affections for you. And so I pray that, church, we would be committed to the word of God because the word of God tells us of the God of this word who's committed to you. And I pray that as we fall in love with the word of God, we'll find that the God of this word is crazy in love with you. Amen? Amen. Would you guys pray with me? God, we just ask for just forgiveness for the times when we've just seen this book as a chore. something that weighs us down or causes inconvenience. God, I pray that you change our minds, change our hearts, and help us to long for more of you, to long to get to know your character and your heart, your love over us. I pray that we would long for that, that quiet space where we don't just rush through some words to get a box checked off. But help us just long to love you more, to be loved by you. Help us to read your words rightly. 
to interpret them correctly. Help us to really see what you really mean, who you really are, how you really feel. I just pray that your word would prove its power to sanctify our hearts, to change our lives. God, we don't want to be the same, so make us more like you. God, we love you and we worship you. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.